This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Kind of Blue took place at a fascinating juncture in Miles' career and also in the careers of the people on the recording. Uh, Bill Evans and John Coltrane and Cannibal Adderley, actually, the three of them uh, became famous leaders in their own right with, I'd say, radically different musical approaches. Uh, Cannibal Adderley eventually turned into a band leader who was focused on creating a groove all the time and having the blues element and the blues feeling being kind of, you know, up front on the first, uh, in the foreground to everything that he did. Uh, and he had great success. John Coltrane was uh, such a protean individual that he kept changing, kept shedding his skin every six months, every two months, every year, uh, right up until when he died in 1967. And Bill Evans uh, became kind of the prototypical uh, introspective artist, uh, young Werther, you know, or something like that, a figure out of Goethe or something, kind of very introspective and head sunken at the piano playing a very, um, I wouldn't say introverted music, but a very introspective music. And, but anyway, three wonderful artists, three totally different approaches. And how fascinating that in 1959 and early 59, they were all together. And Miles Davis, as he was throughout his career, really performed as the, uh, really served as the catalyst Catalyst. Catalyst is a word that we use when we talk about African civilization and how the African influence, no matter where it went, served as a catalyst. And Miles Davis, in many ways, performed that function throughout his career, uh, looking to uh, lead and be led by, at the same time, uh, some of the wonderful musicians who he hired, who he hired to be themselves. But this is what we're really talking about with Kind of Blue. Uh, he captured these people at a moment, confronted them with something kind of unusual, and uh, turned on the red light and they started recording and hence we have Kind of Blue. People have been listening to this album for 50 years all around the world and you know I don't think they've been so concerned with exactly what style of jazz it is. In fact I think many of them may not even think of it as jazz really. They may think it was just great music. And at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem we've been trying to look at jazz or we are looking at jazz, uh, trying to place it in a larger context. So frankly we've been champing at the bit uh, to collaborate in some significant way with the brilliance that surrounds a place like Stanford University. And through Jenny Billfield and Stanford Lively Arts and the Jazz Workshop with Jim Nadell, uh, we have put together a program that uh, hopefully will expand the boundaries of how we look at a phenomenon like Kind of Blue. Uh, I was out here in November doing uh, some lectures and a film show and some rehearsals with some of the students on campus. And we'll be back twice uh, in January and then in April. Uh, in January, my co-director Christian McBride will be here. We'll play a little bit of a duet, and I have to say that's one of the most humbling experiences for me every time I get to be on a stage with Christian. Uh, I'm a saxophone player. He's one of the world's great bass players. And playing with him in a duo is really almost like playing with an orchestra because the accompaniment and counterpoint that's coming back from the bass, it's not just like someone playing a single-line instrument. I mean, he's playing the piano, the drums, the harp, the kazoo. So we're going to play together. And then Christian has all kinds of rare, extraordinarily rare and unissued Miles Davis clips and interviews, uh, some of which will make you laugh and some will make you cry. And uh, he'll be sharing a lot of those. We'll also be doing some films and some lecturing and some playing on campus uh, in the second week in January. And then coming up in April, 
we're doing a concert under the auspices of, again, Stanford and the National Jazz Museum in Harlem, a 50th anniversary tribute to Kind of Blue. And the musical director is a young pianist who's currently been working with Cassandra Wilson and many other people. He was a student of mine at Juilliard, and he's absolutely brilliant. I first met him when he was 17, still in New Orleans. His name is Jonathan Baptiste, and I don't know how many of you know him out here on the West Coast, but you will know him now. I'll have a wonderful band, including a young trumpet player named Dominic Farinacci, who you may know, who just made an album for Koch Records and has worked with Wynton Marsalis and all kinds of folks. And on saxophone, uh, I don't know if he's what you call a local boy, but uh, someone who spent a lot of time out here, the great Dana Stevens, uh, who I also had as a student many years ago at, Stan at uh, Aspen. And he's in New York now, but he'll be coming out to play the concert. And he also, like Dominic and like Jonathan, uh, are, two, are some of the most outstanding young players. And the only idea that I set in motion for the concert when I talked to Jonathan was that it shouldn't sound anything like the recording. Because as soon as you set out to imitate an iconic recording like Kind of Blue, you're sunk. <laughs> because the, the best that could happen would be would be that someone would say, man, you know what it almost it almost sounded like the record boy it was really good you know so you're kind of setting yourself up to fail so we're going to take kind of like a miles davis approach to miles davis uh, the one thing about miles davis is he never repeated himself ever the moment something got out there and got set he started rearranging the pieces there is no substitute and there never will be a substitute no matter how cyber we get or however what we get for the real tactile experience of art of someone creating art in person for us, and jazz especially, we play the audience. And by that I mean um, we don't have a symphonic score in front of us. Or if we do have a score, there are holes and windows in it in which we insert uh, improvisation. And the improvisation is fed by the response and the vibration of the audience. So it seems like it, it's been turned into a cliche, but every jazz performance is unique, and it's unique, I think, in more different ways than most other kinds of music that we listen to. The question that they're dealing with all year here uh, at Stanford Lively Arts, uh, there used to be an ad many years ago, I guess in the 70s, on television, is it live or Memorex? And then they had Ella Fitzgerald sing a high note and the glass shattered. Not exactly sure what that had to do with anything, though. It had to do with, with how technology can replicate certain vibrations. But there is no substitute, and there never will be a substitute for the immediacy of live music, and I have to fight the temptation myself sometimes not to stay at home and listen to my, you know, one terabyte hard drive's worth of music with my Bose headphones, uh, to get out in the subway or get out in my car and drive out and hear some live music. But uh, we have to do this. <laughs> ¶¶